Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher and today I'm going to be going back a couple of weeks. I'm actually going to give you a talk today. Uh, it was the same talk that I did on Christmas Eve with the congregation and uh, I haven't really had a chance to record anything uh, for a few weeks because we're all tied up with, with Christmas but this is a text that well, it's traditionally read on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Actually, it's the same passage that's read in Charlie Brown's Christmas, if you've seen that cute little uh, cartoon movie. Uh, it's the same passage that's read. It basically is Luke 2, Gospel of Luke chapter 2, basically tells you what Christmas is all about. Uh, why it is such a big deal. What difference it makes that this the Christ child was born. Uh, what difference does it make to me today, 2,000 years ago later? That's where I'm going to go with this text. And um, I'm going to start, I'm actually not going to go through the whole thing because it's quite long, but I'm going to just lift up a couple of things that you, there's a chance that you might be unfamiliar with this, kind of, this type of material. But it's so important and it's so interesting and so highly relevant for us today. So the account of Jesus' birth begins with a strange line, really, when you're given an account of a birth. Uh, Luke begins his account by saying, In those days, this is the days when Jesus was born, the first Christmas, In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's how the story starts. That's the first line of the Christmas story. Before you get into, you know, Mary and Joseph going to uh, Bethlehem and there not being any room in the inn and Jesus being born in the manger and the angels singing. The first line is, in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, it's setting the historical context because Emperor Augustus, the almighty ruler of the known world at that time, Roman, because the Romans had taken over the entire known world, he was called the King of Kings. He was known as the Lord of Lords. He was called Divine Son. It's like, yeah, call me Son of God for short. So if you looked on, if you looked at a Roman coin in those days, and you would see Emperor Augustus' face stamped on one side, there's a chance that Son of God or Divine Son would be on that coin. Now, you can imagine that with this much power, Emperor Augustus, whatever he desired, he got. And he wanted to raise taxes 60%. He wanted to raise them up to 60%. But before he could raise the taxes, first thing he needed to do was a head count. He had to check and see how many people he had under his control. And he ordered that everyone check in and register in their hometown. So wherever you were born, you had to go back to that hometown, you had to register in, name and address so that you could be taxed. So that's why Mary and Joseph are traveling to Bethlehem. If you've ever wondered, why in the world would somebody travel 90 miles 
or on a donkey, freezing cold, 30 degree night. Uh, why would you even do that if your wife was nine months pregnant? Well, it's because he had to. Joseph had to. There's no choice here. It was a grueling 90 mile trip. Winter, Mary's about to deliver her baby, but Augustus ordered the census and everyone obeyed for fear of their lives. Remember, this is an occupied land that Jesus was born into. Actually, a military dictatorship. That's why we would talk about it today. So this whole world that Jesus was born into, third world context, under military dictatorship, their land was occupied by Roman military, Everyone was coerced to do whatever Augustus wanted. So, just want to add that, you know, it's, it's, he's born into a cruel, violent, oppressive life. Most of the people in ancient Israel were peasants. They were poor farmers or they were fishermen, barely surviving. So, you can imagine... 2,000 years ago, you can imagine the prayers of the people at that time. You know, you can imagine your prayers. It would be, oh, God, save us. There's got to be a better life. There's got to be another way. Please send us someone to help us. We're miserable. We're, we're dying here. Bring us someone who can help us. And actually, that had been the prayer of ancient Israel for a long, long, long time. The prayer was, we need a king. We need someone, we need a Messiah. We need someone who will save us from Augustus. And you know, when people suffer, they look for ways to relieve their suffering, don't they? We, we do this today, right? When we suffer, we look for ways to relieve our suffering. And for praying people, for people that are looking to God, I mean, that's the prayer. They're looking for assurance. God, you've got to send us someone. Send us someone that will help us. And that had been the prayer of ancient Israel for many, many, many hundred years. They're looking for this Savior, this Messiah. Well, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem. It's busy, right? Because everybody's there who was born there because they have to register. The inn is full. Mary ends up giving birth in the animal quarters of the inn. And the baby Jesus is born, wrapped up in cloths, placed in the manger, which is basically an animal's fodder rack. It's a feed box filled with hay. Well, the whole birth would have gone unnoticed unless God intervened a second time and told the local shepherds, Remember, they were the ones that were out in their fields minding their own business. Nobody really paid any attention to shepherds in those days because they were actually at the bottom of the rung of the Palestinian social ladder, which is an interesting, uh, a little, it gives us a little bit of insight into the whole idea that, that God, <laughs> apparently God has little patience for social ladders and self-proclaimed powerful leaders. And the most unlikeliest couple uh, ends up being the hero of the story. And this happens so often in the scriptures. 
this pattern, once you notice it, you'll see it time and time again. It's always the most unlikely ones that end up being the heroes. So the angel appears to the shepherd, saying, giving the message that a, there's a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. He's Messiah. He's the true Lord. He's the true Lord. It's like shepherds, your prayers have been answered. God's answered your prayers. And that's, you know, that's why we sing that song, you know, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Why? Because your prayers have been answered. That's what the joy is about. So Luke goes on to tell us that the shepherds make their way to Bethlehem. Sure enough, they find this child in the manger in the feed box. They tell everyone who will listen to their story, hey, a savior's been born, a king of kings. No, 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 not that king, not Augustus. A king of kings unlike no other. This one's different. This is the prince of peace. Oh no, he's so different, entirely different. Jesus, Yeshua. It actually means the name Yeshua. It means to deliver. It means to rescue. It means to rescue. So these first listeners to the Christmas story needed to be rescued from Emperor Augustus. They needed to be rescued from poverty. They needed rescued from violence and starvation and sickness and hopelessness. Now, fast forward 2,000 years later. Our rescue if we would call it that, although I quite like that word because I often feel like I need rescued. Our rescue, in some ways, here in the West, in some ways is radically different. But the human condition hasn't changed much. Now, humanity, yes, we've evolved a little. You know, there's, there's been many changes for good. But still, nonetheless, 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of fear in the world, isn't there? And many of us get anxious about the future. And we wonder if we've made the right decision. You know, am I making the most out of my life? Is there more? We don't have to worry about Emperor Augustus breathing down our necks. That's not our concern. But I think it's fair to say that financial worry could keep many people up at night. Right? Or loneliness could be our closest companion. Or sickness could threaten our peace and joy this Christmas season, right? Or a lack of direction or a lack of purpose could plague us. So we don't need rescued from Emperor Augustus, but I don't mind telling you that sometimes. Sometimes I need rescued from myself because sometimes we can be our own worst. We can be our own worst enemy. You know, most of the, by the way, this is, this is another thing that struck me this reading this time round. Most of the ancient world missed the coming of the Christ. The Christ, by the way, just means, it's a title. It means Messiah, means Savior. Most of the ancient world missed the coming of the Christ. Most missed Jesus' birth. Some were opposed to it. 
some were threatened by it, uh, some found their prayers being answered, and some found assurance. Uh, assurance as in, because uh, I think this is what Christmas is all about, it's really about assurance, it's about God really does care after all, and, and God really is with us. You know that name, Emmanuel? Remember the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? You know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. It's like God really does care, and God really is with you, and it really is true that you're not left on your own to navigate through this awesome, fearful, amazing, mysterious thing called life. We're, <laughs> we're not alone. That's why, you know, we sing that, you know, joy to the world, you know, let every heart prepare him room. But it wasn't just the inn that was full and had no room to spare. Because 2,000 years later, our lives, our hearts, our minds, we, we can get so full with other things that there's no room for Christ, you know? Our heads, our minds, we can get so jammed packed with responsibilities and duty and work and family and extended family and beloved friends or, I mean, even our beloved pets can take a lot of time, can't they? And none of these things are bad. In fact, these are all good things. But when you think about it, they can crowd out deeper realities deeper securities in many ways. You know, remember John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound? John Newton said that assurance, because I think this is what, this is a big theme of Christmas. It's about assurance. John Newton said that assurance is something that you learn. It's like, you want assurance for your life? Do you really want to learn that ultimately everything's going to be okay? John Newton said, yeah, you got to learn that. You, you don't get to 20 years old. You don't get to 30 years old and then say, you know what? I've come to the conclusion that uh, I have assurance. I'm not really worried about anything. And I'm just going to trust in God and live a peaceful life. Peace is mine, God's with me, Emmanuel's here, I'm good. John Newton said, no, nah, uh -uh. doesn't work that way, doesn't work that way. Assurance is learned. Assurance is learned. Trust in God is learned too, by the way, it's the same thing. Assurance is learned when you reach the bottom and you cry out for help. And you find that when you're at the lowest of low, that someone else is there to help you. That's where you learn assurance. Assurance is found when your heart's broken and you think, you know what, I'm never going to get over this. I will never recover from this. And you know what? You do recover. That's where assurance is learned and found. Because it's like Jesus' peace, Jesus' birth. It's like it's birthed in your heart. It's an internal thing that happens to you, if that makes any sense. Assurance is learned over 
a lifetime. So that first Christmas when Christ was born and all the angels are singing peace on earth, I mean, who wouldn't want peace? Everyone wants peace. Nobody wants to be anxious. Nobody wants to worry. No one wants to be filled with regret and lose hope, right? We all want assurance that everything will work out in the end and that somehow we made the right decision and we invested in the right job. And, e and even if we didn't, say we made a terrible decision, we still want some assurance that somehow God can work in this mess and it's going to be okay. Or we picked the right major or we committed to the right person. You know, we, we want to know these things. Well, assurance is really the Christmas gift. It's, it's all about assurance. It's from God. But the caveat is, it's learned. And it's learned over time. And there's no quick way. It's learned every time you run out of answers. Every time you come to the end of yourself. Every time you say, I can't do this by myself. And you surrender or you let go. There's different ways of talking about it. Or the traditional way is you'd say, your will be done. Every time you get to that place, assurance is land. Every time. When we reach the hard place, when we're in grief, when we're going through loss, that really is the place that we're met with assurance. And that's the gift. That's the gift. That's the Christmas gift. That's the Emmanuel. That's what it means when it says God is with us. Now, God's with us all the time, but it seems to me that God gets most of our attention when things are not well with us. Because when things are going okay with us, we have a tendency to just get on with life and ignore God. But when all is not well, yeah, yeah, that's when God gets our attention. And that's when God comes to us and meets us. It's like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, there's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you, Emmanuel, that I am not in this alone. You are with me. When I get to the end, it's not the end. It is not the end. Because you're there. You're seeing me through it all. What a gift. What a gift. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. Well, thank you for joining me. Join with me again next week for another episode.